Warning, the following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Hey friends, this is Drew Powell, Butch Gilzine from Fox's Gotham. You're listening to Next Level Radio. Welcome to issue 24 of DC Primetime, uh, part of the Next Level Podcast Network, shared responsibilities with the Caffeine Crew, of course. Uh, I am oh, from the showcast on the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from Caffeine Crew, I'm Rob Martin. And pretty soon we won't have to say Caffeine Crew, because I'm wondering if this could be the Next Level cast of pods. <laughs> well, no, you'll still share your, uh, you'll still keep your Caffeine Crew. Oh, yeah. But, uh, no, but we'll just say from Next Level. There you go. So Part of the Next say. Level Podcast Network. Exactly. I'm loving that. <laughs> I know. I can't wait. It'll be nice. <laughs> I can't wait till you guys come over to the network. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait to save some money. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Uh, but yeah, another issue of the DC Primetime Podcast coming your way. Uh, last week, it was the Killing Joke uh, in which Rob and I had a chance to go to the two-night engagement in theater. So we talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, this week, however, we are going to talk to you all about Suicide Squad, which, of course, just came to theaters uh, this past weekend. I know Rob has actually had a chance to see it. I've seen it twice. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, plus a bunch of news in uh in the world of DC this week. Yeah, and uh, just a little little touch of um, the Telltale Batman game. I did get the chance to complete episode one. Yeah, and I unfortunately didn't even get a chance to start it yet. Uh, but that's all right. Uh, hopefully throughout the course of this week, uh, I'll get the chance to do that. I know uh, I have a couple movie, I have a movie screening to go to this week. and uh, But that's about it, so I should have plenty of time. I did, however, uh, finish season two of Gotham. Ah, so, so you're ahead of me on that, and I'm ahead of you on Batman Telltale. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they'll even out eventually. They will. Uh, give, yeah, give me about two weeks, and we'll be good to go. I'm completely caught up on season two of Gotham, and I will say this, having finished it, uh, or at least getting caught up, um, I'm regretting dropping it when I did. Uh, the show is really good, and I'm, I, I kind of wish I stuck with it from the beginning. So, but I'm glad I did now uh, because it led to a very interesting conversation with friend of the network uh, Drew Powell last night, who played over Twitter, who plays uh, Butch Gilzine on the show. If you don't know who that is, and he totally called you out that you're like, oh, I see somebody just <laughs> caught up. Yes, uh, I tweeted him a particular screenshot from uh, from a scene in the show, and I tweeted at him, uh, "We need to get hashtag badass Butch trending," and he totally called me out. He's like, ah, I see somebody caught up. I said, yeah, you didn't tell me that happens. And he's like, well, how else would I know you actually finished the show? <laughs> <laughs> so I love the relationship that we have with him now. He's a friend of the network, so it's it's really awesome. And we'll, uh, we'll definitely have him on this podcast one day in the near future because when, uh, when we talked to him in person a couple months back, I think back in May at Heroes and Villains, you know, he's he's looked into all of our podcasts and he says that he wants to be a guest on all of them, which would include this one. So. There you go. 
uh, we'll have him in the near future, and hopefully through him, we'll get some other members, uh, including uh, Aaron Richards, who we've talked to already on the show cast, and um, Robin Lord Taylor, who plays Penguin, who I've met and is an incredibly nice guy. Nothing like his character on the show. Uh, but yeah, so a lot of cool stuff that'll be coming your way in the future of DC Primetime, including, I think I think we're adding Gotham. I, yeah, I think, I think we were we, we we were pretty pretty sure as of the end of last week's episode, and uh, I think it's safe to say it's it's a definite at this point. So yeah, we we've put out we put out a poll, and um, we talked to a couple people, and everybody that I talked to pretty much says yes, you you need to add Gotham. So uh, Gotham starts back in September, which we'll start with that, and I think we'll do a season one annual and a season two annual before that happens. Okay, and um. Yeah, and then in October we're back to the running, man. With yeah, these we are shows. I can't wait. Oh, I know. Especially wait till we get to some new stuff this week. There's yeah. there's plenty to to feel excited about. So some of the stuff that you brought up to me when we were prepping for this for this issue, um, oh, I can't wait. I really can't. I I'm like so stoked that I wish it was October already. <laughs> Screw this summer well, shit. Let, let's let's make our way getting closer to that point by starting with Suicide Squad. Yes. So. Yes. Or actually, do you just want me to get Telltale out of the way? You know what? Let's do that. Because okay. um, I'm I'm really intrigued. I've I've heard some good things. I've heard some mixed reviews. But uh, I, I want to hear from somebody who's played it. What did you think of uh, episode one of Batman: The Telltale Game? Okay, I will say from somebody that's played a good chunk of Telltale stuff over the last, I would say, four years, five years, give or take, since they started with, like, Sam and Max. Um, actually, Chris, that's even longer now. Um, but anyway, so going into it, so Batman Episode 1, which I believe was titled Realm of Shadows. I think that sounds familiar. I, I can't quite recall the subtitle of it. But um, one thing that'll jump out at anybody that's played this right off the bat is this is not taking from any current continuity, past continuity. This is Telltale's universe. So like we were talking about the TV shows and the movie universe, this is Telltale's version of Batman. So it kind of feels like it's taking place kind of in a similar vein and role to how the long Halloween was um, a little bit of Batman Batman year one in there somewhat. Uh, so right off the bat, we do meet off with, it seems like the very first meeting between Batman and Catwoman, um, which was a very different take and it worked well. Um, we see Harvey Dent that's running for mayor of Gotham city. And uh, so obviously not yet to face and Bruce Wayne is running a campaign alongside him to help him out and kind of being one of his primary endorsers. So we get to see a nice little chunk of things. Uh, the one thing that really jumps out at me that I really loved is that we're seeing them give us Batman as a template and says, here's all the versions of Batman ex that exist. Here's the super violent Batman. Here's the very passive one. Um, if you want to go even further and be a killer type, you can do all these things. Like Batman is very much still a myth in Gotham. He doesn't have a strong relationship with the GCPD yet. He has a little bit of a start of somewhat of a relationship with Jim Gordon, but it's not really discussed how long they've kind of been working alongside each other. But other cops are still pointing guns at him and firing bullets. So um, so it was kind of cool to see this different take, because as soon as you j like jumped into this, you didn't quite know where it sat. And once you get into a couple plot beats, you're like, OK, this is its own thing. And I think that was the best thing for them to do. Um, it really makes everything a lot more interesting to watch. There's characters that have histories together that you don't expect to have histories and they do a nice little couple twists and turns, but I really love the fact that I could make it the Batman I wanted it to be. So, and, it, so uh, it is a clean slate where you can, you can become whatever kind of Batman you want to be. 
really you can uh, okay. and that's something they do very well um if you've played tales from the borderlands there are some of the high paced kind of action combat scenes are played out very similarly to how tales of the borderlands wrapped up with the big fights in the end of that where it's a lot of very fast qtes where you you know hit left right like down in combinations of other buttons very fast in succession the cool thing that they did though is they added something that's happening on the lower left hand corner of the screen for players um, there's a little Batman symbol that's filling up every time you successfully do a QTE, which gives you an ability to uh, throw, like have a finishing move that can kind of wrap up the fight. Um, so like whether that's a Batarang or a grappling hook or something like that, that maybe wraps the fight up faster. So there does feel like there's consequences to missing some of them, but not in bad ways. Um, the dialogue succession trees are very similar to what we've seen in the past Telltale games. Uh, and but I do think that what's interesting about this is while you play at Batman in the very beginning, a good chunk of this episode is really based around being Bruce Wayne. And, you know, they do nice little things like the fight in the beginning of the game with him trying to catch Catwoman. Um, he gets a couple scratches across his cheek. And when you're Bruce Wayne, those scratches exist and people bring that to your attention as Bruce Wayne. So it's kind of fun to play around with this because it feels like there's a lot of weight as Bruce Wayne. Um, because you have to still kind of try to schmooze a bit. and uh, But, you know, obviously the whole being Batman thing definitely is in the players' heads, and they make sure that some of the dialogue trees pop up in a way that you could say kind of the wrong thing without giving yourself away, but to definitely call people a little bit in question of to Bruce Wayne's actions. So it does feel really beautifully balanced. I mean, you'd get a nice detective scene in the game as well as playing Batman, where you're actually breaking down a full crime scene where you're linking people to locations and you're actually trying to plot out a plot scene like, okay, there was this explosion and this perp over here is dead. How are they connected to these things? So you're linking evidence to actually make it play out. And you actually get to see that linking system brought up later on in a fight sequence too, which is really cool. I kind of want to play this game now. So it does (laughs) a lot of unique things. And I'm saying all this as vague as I can without giving away plot beats. Um, all you pretty much have to know is it's a focusing around dense campaign and uh, a very early Batman. Like we, the only negatives I can say is everybody knows who Bruce Wayne is and Batman is pretty much that's going to play this game. So they do beat you over the head a little bit about the death of the Waynes, um, a little bit in episode one, and that's something I hope they kind of walk back a bit um, because it felt a little excessive. But I'm thinking that's more of a primer for how the season's going to play out because mm. they have some. Things that could potentially be linked to other characters, and I'm not quite sure what they're going to do yet. But, I mean, the Wayne the Wayne relationship to Gotham seems very important to the whole plot. So, But I think we they'll at least start stepping back uh, by episode two uh, about the death of the Waynes. But okay. uh, their legacy is important to Gotham, though. So it, it's very much like any other Telltale game where every decision you make will affect the outcome of the rest of the game. Well, what's interesting is, you know, where you normally in like Tales from the Borderlands or like Walking Dead, it's like this character will remember this, you know, that Mm -hmm. little statements that pop up. This is Gotham will remember this. Ah, okay. So it feels like they're kind of turning Gotham into a character, which is something that's really cool and I actually really enjoy and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out. But there were some choices I made that I felt really good about. And at the end of the game, you know, you get to see your little choices and how they measure up to a lot of people. Mm hmm. I really want to go back and try a complete different run in very different directions and maybe make that brutal Batman and see how the game plays out and maybe have two campaigns running. Um, well, that's what I was going to ask, too, is replayability as as with any other Telltale game. Uh, definitely there is some replayability to this game. 
Yeah, I mean, it looks like the major plot beats uh, that they show at the end, those like five little breakdown points, they were they felt like more minimalistic in the grand scheme of the things of a lot of the choices I had to make in that episode, which was kind of interesting because you were felt nervous making some of the choices that you did. And they felt like the mundane choices. They mm-hmm. felt like they had a lot more weight than I've ever seen in a Telltale game, which was kind of interesting. Um, the one cool new feature they added to this game, though, that I think is fantastic is there is now a crowd play function. So um, to those of you that have maybe played like Jackbox on like Xbox One or PlayStation 4, they actually have a feature now where if you're in a group of a uh, room full of people, everybody can look up at that crowd play number and it says, OK, what's the person's name that's playing this game currently? And everybody in the room can play with you where everybody can vote on the choices that happen and will choose the highest chosen. Um, oh, that's so, interesting. So you can now do that in a room of people. It's built kind of for streamers out there that are playing live. But, uh, you know, with the lag um, uh, with like things like Twitch, that obviously can change things up a little bit and cause some problems. But I heard this does run phenomenally when you're playing in a room full of people. Huh? I'm, yeah, I'm I'm telling you, like I, like I said, just hearing what you talked about and all the new things that they added to the game, I'm definitely looking forward to playing this i won't be able to play it tonight or tomorrow night but hopefully maybe by when uh by wednesday i'll be able to finally sit down and actually play this game for a little bit um on a scale of our usual rating um you know sidekick hero or legend what would you give this first episode uh i would say i would give this a high hero um i think that probably by episode two i think it's going to be up there i think the new mechanics feel really good feel fantastic i think it was just um it's that slow building up of the story that maybe took a little bit away from it. Um, but I think all in all, I'm really excited to see where it's going to go. And I could say this this probably has potential to be a legend across the board at the end. But I want to play it a little safe to start off. OK, uh, one final question before we move on to Suicide Squad. Um, you mentioned in the beginning, obviously, first encounter with Catwoman and we've ran into Harvey Dent pre Two-Face. Uh, any other familiar characters we're going to run into in the first episode? Yes. Okay. Uh, you're going to see Carmine Falcone. I, I wasn't asking which ones. Okay. I just wanted to know if yes or no we're going to run into some other fam- familiar characters. Well, I can give you a, a couple. I'll, I'll leave out one major one. Okay. Uh, obviously, Jim Gordon, Vicki Vale, and Alfred. Okay. So, uh, And then Carmine Falcone is kind of a big part of, I, I think, the start of everything. But there's one I'll leave off because it's uh, that's the fun unveil. Okay. All right. Cool. That's, uh, that's good to know. Uh, so, yeah, so I'll definitely be checking that out, too, and hopefully uh, our listeners will as well. And when you do, let us know. Let us know what you think of the uh, of the first episode yourself. Mm-hmm. So uh, but let's move on to the main topic of this issue. This is obviously what we wanted to talk about this week. You and I both had the opportunity to hit the theaters and see uh, DC's newest film installment in the DC uh, Cinematic Universe, that being Suicide Squad. Um where do we want to start with this? Because uh, I know you and I, we've gotten into the habit of not revealing what are our detailed thoughts about things because we like to save it for this podcast. Um, we did the same thing with Killing Joke and uh, we haven't really talked. I think other than saying the movie was fun, we haven't said anything to each other about this movie and what we thought. Yeah, that's so, correct. Uh, so our opinions obviously might be different in different places. So – um let's let's start with the rating this okay. time uh obviously. i actually want yours first because you don't know mine 
Yes, I don't. And you know mine already, just because you saw my video review after, immediately after seeing the movie. And it actually stayed the same when I did my written review as well. Um, but on a scale of – we'll do this the 1 to 10, which is which also equates to the sidekick hero legend. Um, I gave it a 7 out of 10, which I guess would equate to a high hero. So you actually knocked it down a little bit. You were originally at a 7.5, so – well, I think I said seven, seven, five. Okay. Or, you know, and and thinking more about it, uh, it, it's on the lower end of what I gave it. So I, I gave it a seven. Okay. So which I, again would equate to a high hero. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm going to give this. Actually, I'm gonna go with an eight. Okay. So so it gets a low legend. Okay. Um, I'll be interested now to see what you think about it. That gives it the legend and uh. And not the hero, because again, I mean, look, I, I've made no—I feel like I've said this phrase a thousand times, but I've made no bones about the fact that I did not like Man of Steel or Batman vs Superman. Well, Batman vs Superman. You should just have that on a T-shirt, buddy. I know. I should. I should just have it stamped on my forehead, or have a recording of it. That's why I don't have to say it anymore. Um, you know, I didn't like Man of Steel, and Batman v Superman was very disappointing. Um. Uh, I don't want to say I didn't like Batman v Superman because there were definitely elements of it I liked. I'm just saying it was disappointed. I was disappointed. Um, but between the two and this being the third installment, uh, I was very pleased because I liked it a lot better than the first two. Yeah. I mean, this kind of felt like kind of almost the reset point. And if I want to be kind of true to about that, I mean, like, obviously, you know, like we see some connections, obviously, to BBS. Um, but I, I, I kind of feel like this was kind of a, this really felt like the beginning of a fresh start. Yeah. I, I feel like this is, this was DC's way of finding their footing. I mean, as you did mention, there are some elements of BVS that are mentioned in the film. Uh, it does in, as far as the DCCU timeline, uh, this falls right into place. It happens right after Batman v Superman. So, it does, which is something I actually kind of didn't expect. Um, uh, me neither. And I, I'm actually kind of happy they did because it makes you more excited about that universe by the time that film's done. Yes. Um, so let's talk about some of the things that the film does right. Let's talk about some of the highlights. Or should we talk about the lows? Let's first? talk about the lowlights first because okay. I think there's actually a lot fewer than them uh, than a lot of people think. I know a lot of people out there have seen the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And I want to bring up something really quickly because yeah, yeah. I want to get this out of the way. Yeah. So for those of you that go on Rotten Tomatoes look at – reviews and look at the, it's that fresh or rotten i want to bring out an interesting point really quickly that i noticed for the first time so um when going through the reviews for it and people actually have you know a lot of the top critics have an, a rating next to it like how many stars like you know two and a half stars out of four whatever it may be and there was a lot of them that were like two and a half out of four stars and it was said certified fresh and there was for as many that were 2.5 out of four saying fresh there was just as equally as many 2.5 out of 4 that said rotten. So you kind of have to gauge that a little bit. I think we're using rotten rotten tomatoes as an aggregate is not the right way to go. Um, because, you know, if you want to get a place to see everybody's thing, but make sure you're looking at those points because that tells you something is wrong on rotten tomatoes somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a, if a critic is the one that chooses if it's fresh or rotten, you know, and their review score matches somebody else that says they enjoyed the film, um, then you have a problem. That's something Rotten Tomatoes should be policing and they're not doing. 
So I, I never really picked up on that before, to be honest I with you. I never did either. And that's a good reason why you're seeing that freshness rating as low as it is, because they're having people with the, giving it the same scores and two different versions of what their thoughts are on it. So yeah. so that's not a good way to look at it. The best thing to do is talk to somebody that you know that you have a similar taste in films that has seen it and find out if they like it, if that's something you want to check out for yourself. Yeah. Um, or obviously go to the movie and make up your own mind. But if you're not sure and if you're on the fence, talk to somebody you know that has your similar taste and go off of their recommendation. Well, that's what I always say, too. I mean, anytime I do a review, especially the video reviews now, I, like I always end it with form your own opinion, go to the theater, see it for yourself. Uh, yes, I am technically a film critic now because I, I do go to these advanced screenings in order to review films and I do write reviews on them. But I still go into these films as a fan. I go into these fan uh, films as a fan first, a critic second. Um so, uh, I mean, that I think definitely helps me because I'm very easy to please when it comes to a movie. I mean, hell, I liked Pixels, mm-hmm. um, you know, which we joke about a lot. So I'm very easy to please. So when I'm very disappointed by a movie, I have very good reason. Um, but I always say form your own opinion, go into the movie by yourself. But you're right. Talk to somebody who has very similar tastes and go in and ask them for their opinion. Don't go by. Critics on Rotten Tomatoes are are good as a base, but always listen more to the audience. Yeah, because the audience knows better than the critics. Critics, I feel like, especially with this film in particular, were very strict and stringent because of the past two films. Yeah, they, and I, they they did not do this film any favors. At no, all. they they were very strict because of the ratings of the last two films. Um they weren't going to give it any leeway unlike with Marvel where they feel like everything that Marvel puts out is gold. And I kind of agree with that to a point because I haven't been disappointed with a Marvel film yet. Well, um, I'm on the other side and while I think half of the things things they they've done I've absolutely loved and there's another half that I'm like it was okay. You know, well, I mean, again, it was OK. It's not horrible. I've never no. gone into a Marvel movie saying it was horrible. Yeah. Um, you know, or very disappointed like I have DC films. And I think we talked a little bit about this when when our friend Rich was on, too. And he made a very good point in that people are very strict with these films because whereas with Marvel, Marvel shot out of the gun full speed with Iron Man. So everybody equates a Marvel movie to Iron Man, whereas with DC, they kind of flopped with Man of Steel, so now everybody equates a Marvel, a DC mo- movie to Mar- to Man of Steel. Yeah, um, you know they made a bad first impression, so it's very hard to recover from that. Whereas Marvel made an awesome first impression, so now everything they put out, everybody's looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the bad, I, I I feel like a lot of the bad reviews for Suicide Squad are more are less bad reviews on Suicide Squad, but more reflective of the past two movies. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think that's how the critics are going to constantly see this. Yeah. I think you're seeing something like um, this is kind of getting treated a very similar way that any film that isn't a Marvel film getting hit with, Um, you know, like the X-Men films and so on and so forth um, are kind of going under this banner. I mean, Deadpool kind of walked away from that curse, which was kind of surprising because, I mean, I think Deadpool is a wonderfully fun movie. Uh, Do I think it equates to something like, you know, uh, you know, the you know, civil war or something like that. Of course not, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Well, I think you bring up a good point with Deadpool too. And I want to, I want to use this to equate to one of the negatives of the film. Um, when it came to Deadpool, Deadpool had an amazing, um, commercial, uh, promotion campaign behind it. 
And oh yeah, the marketing for that was phenomenal. And everybody from that marketing knew when they were going into this movie, this was just going to be a fun, raunchy movie. When you went into the theaters to see Deadpool, you got what you were expecting. You got a fun, raunchy movie. And I feel like it was a bit different with Suicide Squad because Suicide Squad, again, their marketing campaign was fantastic. The The music that they used in the trailers, the trailers themselves were awesome. Like that's what made everybody look forward to this movie. But when you go into this movie, you get two different tones from this movie. I think halfway through this movie, the tone of the film changes um, and it's, and it's not exact. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Um, as far as the movie goes, cause the tone kind of changed. Um, but I didn't mind that. I liked what it turned into, but it was definitely different from what the trailers reflected. In actually, my the funny thing is I actually kind of, absolutely disagree with you uh the trailers that i saw for that film which i saw pretty much every single one of them um and a lot of tv spots and i felt like that it felt exactly like those trailers i mean it was i expected you know a team movie that was campy and over the top actiony at moments with you know quippy dialogue back and forth at occasion points and that's is kind of exactly what we got um I, I don't think I could think of anything else. I mean, like the even a couple of slower points in the film are the same kind of slower points you see in pretty much any of those style films, you know? Well, I mean, even with the quippy dialogue that you mentioned that we actually did get, um, that was another thing that kind of disappointed me a little bit about the movie was we heard, you know, and it, we even reported on it that this film was going through massive rewrites and reshoots to add more humor to this film. I didn't see it. I didn't see any extra humor added to this film. In fact, I, I felt there was very – while there was humor and some quips here and there, there wasn't a lot. So I don't know what they added in those rewrites and those reshoots. Or if, if that's the case, what was this movie like before they did do those reshoots? Because there really wasn't a well, lot in the I, film. Actually, there, the movie was actually quite somber in tone. Um, yeah. I, in, not in the theatrical version but in the original cut. Um, actually on comicbookmovie.com. I originally was going to say this in the news, but the sheer amount of cut scenes from this film that have already been leaked, not that you can visually see them, but the full detailed descriptions of a lot of the scenes, make this movie a very different movie. And I can bring up one really cleanly uh, because this is a spoiler show. Um, I shouldn't have to say spoilers, There's but I'll a spoiler say it again. Warn- There's a spoiler warning in the beginning of the show, so you don't even have to mention so- it. So, I mean, just to give you guys a good idea, um, there's that sequence where Harley escapes um, from away from the squad when they save Waller and she gets on the helicopter with Joker and you see them fire an RPG at, you know, the helicopter coming down. The movie was actually cut originally differently where Harley and Joker got in a fight above uh, uh, above ground while they're on the helicopter where he actually pushes her off. Then it's hit. Um, so it's actually it wasn't him pushing her off to save her when it got hit. It was a very different tonally tonal piece. I mean, the way that they manu- uh, maneuvered and manipulated scenes based on some of the reshoots actually changed quite a bit of things. Um, and if you go out there, you can look for a spoiler like spoiler section that breaks down like all the cut sequences. And there's a lot. I mean, there's an absolute ton. If anybody's been focusing on any of the news in the past few weeks, Jared Leto's came out multiple times and said that he felt like 
there was almost maybe 40 minutes of Joker material that never made it into the final film. And I did read that, too, in that the fact that he did say that it's almost enough material to make a Joker film in itself. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, there was supposed to be another sequence during the big fight with Incubus and Enchantress at the end uh, where he if you remember in the trailers, there's a shot of him with a burned up face. holding yes. a grenade. And I was going to bring that actually up. goes into that final fight to pull Harley out, which he turns him down to do so. Um, and he gets somewhat involved in that last fight, kind of adding another tier to that fight a little bit. And then he says pretty much, well, through there is a grenade. This is pretty much a big fuck you to the team and walks out. Well, so, I'm glad you brought up the Joker because again, we are talking about the negatives of the film right now. And I do kind of feel like I'm still very indifferent about Jared Leto's version of the Joker. Um, but while I am indifferent, I feel like while there there was 40 minutes of the Joker that was cut away from this film, the cut of the film that we did get made me feel like we got too much Joker. Um, I feel like there were very little bits in. Now, I understand why the Joker's in this film. He's very important to the backstory of Harley Quinn. He is the person that created Harley Quinn. So, Yes, he's very important to the backstory of these characters. But I feel like if you would have taken him out of the main story, it wouldn't have changed it drastically enough that it would have been a completely different movie. I feel like this movie would have been better suited had you done the same thing with Joker that you did with Batman. And that Batman was used in this movie just the right amount. He was used to show how these people ended up in Belle Reve. And that was it. He was not part of the main storyline whatsoever. And I feel like... The Joker should have been played that way in the in the little amount that he was used compared to what they shot. I feel like they should have cut just a little bit more. Um, I mean, I think I was OK with their, their total inclusion that they had it with it. I think if they had all those cut scenes, I think it would have taken away from what that film would have been. Um, I think it would have made him too integral to the plot. And I don't think that was necessary. Um, I think. The one scene in particular that you might be thinking is when he goes in to find uh, the scientist that creates the nanite bombs in their neck. Well, that's um, just that's just one scene. I mean, I think that's if you just got rid of that scene in him removing the uh, explosive from Harley, that would have been fine. Um, I think uh, his involvement beyond that was perfectly fine because really it was it beyond that. Honestly, it was just him rescuing her at the one point and um but again, you I know, mean, the very, very end sequence and that's it. But I mean, again, even the now the end sequence I was fine with because that can actually be used to set up an, a, another film. Um, you know, that kind of bookends the story where, you know, she's left behind in the crash. She ends up in Belle Reve. The Joker is now breaking her out of Belle Reve after she's already done what she's done. Everything that he has done in the middle from, you know, the technology to. Uh, to deactivate her nanite in her neck to the helicopter scene to the crash. I don't feel like I, what the hell was the point of the helicopter crash? Cause she ends up right back with the group again, five minutes later anyway. And that's like, what I, I mean. Like it's the nanite stuff. Cause it was that tiny little sub story, which is honestly two scenes, but you could um, have had a, you could have figured out a whole nother way or that not happen at all because it ends up, you know, Amanda Waller has the ability to blow it at the end again anyway. So what the hell was the point of it? Well, she's actually not re-injected at that point. Like hers was disabled completely. They kind of showed in that that shot. Um, but, but, but again, yeah. but if that's the case, then why? See, I don't agree with that because if you look at the phone at the end, she's lit up red again. And if her nanite was still deactivated, why did she go back to Bell Reef? Yeah, that's a good point. I actually didn't think about it. And you did see it twice. So, um, but you know what? 
I think in the grand scheme of things, I mean, that's that feels like a big splitting hairs thing, because, again, Joker is not super integral to the plot. No. Um, he is for Harley's backstory and that alone. And I think the big thing is because he's such this massive fan favorite character and they built so much marketing around him. I think before they went back for the reshoots that I don't think they could have cut back more than they did with the way they were promoting his character. But I th- um, I, And I, I think that's on mark uh, marketing, uh, making that mistake. And that's and that's what I was going to bring up, too, is that I think the marketing over pushed him a little bit to the point where they kind of felt like they had to put him in there. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, which, again, what, like you said, is a marketing mistake. But I don't think he, he detracts from the film. Um, you know, I mean, he's he's there. I, I don't think it takes it down to, you know, like, uh, in my opinion, like a six or seven having him there or anything like that. But um, I think oh, I, it was there. I think that doesn't really reflect my score. I think it's for me the big point uh, that I my points are as far as where I hit it was there was some things that were left to be desired a little bit. I mean, there's certain characters that were barely there and involved in the film that I wish they would have actually spent some more time with. Yeah. Like, I I don't want that. I don't want that to to mean to sound like that took my score down because I felt like the Joker was used too much. I'm just making a suggestion that I felt like the movie wouldn't have been hurt. Had you removed him from the main storyline? Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I think as long as he was fo- uh, a focal point in her flashbacks, I think it would have been fine. Um, and then yeah. bring him back again at the end, like I said, you know, to yeah. break her out of Belle Reve. It bookends her story with him, and you didn't really need any of the chapters in the middle. Mm-hmm. So. Very true. But yeah, um, I mean, let's get right to the thick of it then, too. As far as the cast, what? who was your standout? Oh, my God. Margot Robbie, by far. I mean, and, and this is the way I put it before, too, in my written review, is that you you have a movie like Suicide Squad where Will Smith is very obviously the top build character, um, and any movie that he is the top build character, even like films like Men in Black and things like that, where you have another huge star like Tommy Lee Jones, it's very rare that anybody ever outshines Will Smith in the movie that he is top build in. This is a complete exception to that, in my opinion. Margot Robbie nailed Harley Quinn. Okay. Um, but I thought Will Smith was fantastic at the same time. I thought he was a definite badass. And if there was any character in this film that added emotion to it, it was his. It was him and his backstory added Indeed. the um, added emotion to this film. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think you know what it was really fun to say too is it was really fun to go to a summer blockbuster flick and see Will Smith the way that we saw him in like 1990s, like Independence Day and. Like bad boys, it felt like seeing that Will Smith again. Yeah, because um, it feels like we haven't seen him play those types of characters in a very long time, and you could see he had fun doing it. It was fun to watch him. It was a lot of fun to watch him again. Yeah. How about you? Who did you think was the um, the standout in the cast or standouts? As much as I loved um, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, and I think she did a phenomenal job. I would say she'd be my number two, Deadshot my number three. Ooh, uh, can I my, take a guess? You can. Uh, I'm going to say Jai Courtney is Captain Boomerang. Nope. Oh, uh, oh, oh, hold on. I got it because I, I partially agree with you. And this person is in my top three. Uh, Amanda Waller. Yes. Okay. She was my number one by far. Yeah. Um, there's only been two char- two people that have ever played that character that like really like did it right. One was CCH Pounder that was in the animated series. And, uh, she did this, this phenomenal job voicing the animated version of her. Um, that all changed when I saw Viola Davis. Uh, she did that character such amazing justice. And there was this beautiful shot in the film 
where they went to save her from the uh, the John F. Ostrander federal building, which was a great nod to okay. Ostrander, who was the writer of Suicide Squad. Back okay, that's that's what I was going to ask, because I knew it was a nod, and I just couldn't pick up on it. I didn't know what it was. He was the person that was responsible for that book really becoming what it was back in the mid-80s uh, to mid-90s. Okay. Uh, but when they go into that building and, you know, they actually save her and it's her and Rick Flagg and then, you know, Deadshot walks in and she puts down every agent in that room. It's like it's time to go. And it's kind of like that whole no, no loose ends. And I'm like, that was Amanda Waller. That was her to a T. Uh, everything that she did, every time you saw her on screen, it was exactly the way I always envisioned that character in live action. And they did her beautifully. Yeah. Um, and like as much as they try to make her this, you know, cold hard bitch on Arrow, they just failed miserably. Every time she was on there, I never believed her. She always came off really simplistic and very overdone. And they just did her wonderfully, like got her down perfectly. And especially in that after credit scene, that was almost felt like a, a major sequence from an old comic. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it, you you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I mean, and that Amanda Waller is this version of Amanda Waller by Viola Davis. You know, you have this group of these hardened criminal criminals and villains. And, you know, you have moments of Rick Flagg, who Rick Flagg was awesome at the same time. Um, uh, I forget the actor who played Rick Flagg. Um, Oh, I know. It's it's on the tip of my tongue, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Joel Kinnaman. That's it. That's it. Um, you know, but even he had these moments where, you know, this team was kind of hard to control. And then you have Amanda Waller, who you get the impression immediately right away. This is a badass bitch who can keep these people in, in check. Oh, yeah. And that's and, who and, Amanda Waller was. And nobody is sacred to her. Uh, yes. Flag wasn't. The team wasn't. She just does not care. She is there purely to get the job done. And there's a reason why she does what she does in that movie. It's very much she really believes in everything that she's doing is 100 percent right. Yes. And I love it as they get to the end of the flick and they're like, well, that's done. And they're like, we're I guess we're all free people. And she's like, nope, 10 years off your sentence. And well, it's, it's and that, a cappuccino machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and B.E.T. But I mean, it was all those little moments and. Like you saw, like these characters are supposed to be the worst of the worst, the baddest of the bad, terrified of this woman. And it's believable. Like they were kind of like, well, that's that. I guess we're going back to Bell Rev and that's it. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, she got it perfectly. And I'm so pleasantly fucking surprised on them nailing that character the way they did, because that was the one I was most afraid of. Now, as far as that scene where they're going into Midway City to rescue, you know, this person, did you have any idea who it was going into it? No, I thought it was going to be Enchantress. I, I thought that was they were just leaving off the fact that, hey, by the way, she's a mystic and she's potentially insane in a loose cannon. Um, so when they got to that, the federal building, and I'm like, oh, shit, it's Waller. And it was one of those things I just kind of didn't put two and two together uh, until they were at that where the building they were in. Okay, see, I didn't put two and two together until they actually went into the room. Because I, I really, my mind wasn't thinking about it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like, they did some fun things with that. I mean, like, while it is, at its heart, a, a simplistic action film, they have did a couple things I didn't see coming. Yeah. Um, and I was quite happy with that. I mean, like, we all had a feeling that Enchantress was the big bad, um, which turned out to be true. What I didn't see coming is them including Incubus, which most people usually were kind of like, who? 
And that was, you know, her brother. I mean, that's this was a lot more based off of an old book that you'll hear about in my recommendations at the end of the week uh, with this. But um, this was really adapted from one specific story. And uh, when it happened, I'm like, oh, crap, I should have seen this coming. And well, there even is a moment in the movie, and I did pick up on it the second time I saw it, where they're doing the whole cards on all the characters, and they go over enchantresses, and they actually say right on her card, brother is in a jar. Mm-hmm. Why bring that up if it's not going to be important to the story? Yeah. Um, so, But yeah, I, I was very, very happy with um, a lot of the beats of this film. And I mean, like just like every major action film, um, including, oddly enough, like, you know, I'll even say as much as I absolutely adore Civil War, I don't think there's been an action movie that's made me excited about an end fight in a very long time because they're all very by the numbers. It's exactly what you expect to happen is going to happen. You know, I mean, like you can walk into Avengers and like, well, you know, we know this major fight's coming up and Cap's going to square off against Iron Man because of his allegiance to Bucky and all these things, so on and so forth. And you know exactly how that's going to end. They're not going to kill any of the other ones. One of them is going to go run off away, and that's that. I mean, the only thing that you left question in Civil War was, okay, is Cap going to die at the end of this the way that he did in the aftermath of Civil War? Yes, no. And that was it. That was my big question in the end of that film because we knew how it was going to end. The same way that you knew at the end was, okay, one more member of the squad's going to probably die in this fight. And, you know, props to me. I'm very happy I called it last You did. Week. You called them both. I mean, Slipknot was the easy one to call. Uh, yeah, and I said that was the gaming, and I said my other guest was El Diablo. And uh, oddly enough, a character I didn't think that I would love, but actually I really enjoyed him a lot in this. Yeah, there, you know what? In all honesty, out of the entire squad, there really wasn't a character in the group that I didn't – that I ended up not liking. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they could have – I wish they would have used Killer Croc more. Yeah, I, I feel that Katana, uh, Croc, and Boomerang kind of got a little bit short-shafted in the film. Uh, but you know what? I'm really hoping that this this uh, box office gross continues as well as it did from the weekend. And uh, it helps them greenlight a sequel because, I mean, Warner's already said they're very happy. I mean, it broke uh, August pre-order records. It had a fantastic weekend. It's probably not even getting released in China. And it's already uh, – it was like $270 million in from the end of Sunday. Um, well, well, let's also not forget, too, that, I mean, it, pre-orders included and, and, and such that these bad reviews for this film came out and were releasing by Wednesday, which was when, you know, the um, – um, what the hell is the word? Uh, the embargo actually the embargo. Lifted, on, lifted on Tuesday because we recorded that night and you were actually able to speak about it. Oh, then. that's right. Um, um, so it doesn't seem like it impacted this film. No, much. and that's what I was going to say. The, the bad reviews did not impact the weekend gross. Um, which is a very good thing. The yeah. people were already set in their minds that they wanted to see this movie. They didn't care what the reviews said. Yeah, and I, I probably so far have spoken to about 15 people that have seen this film. Only one of them did not like the movie. I'm probably in the same boat. I've talked to a number of different people, both in person and online, uh, who have seen it, and everybody seems pleased with the film. They all agree that while it wasn't perfect, it's still a fun movie. Yeah, and that's all it had to be, and I think we even said it the last several weeks, it just had to be good. Didn't have to be the best thing. Uh, it had to just be good and enjoyable. And people said it was fun. And if it's one of their memorable movie movies of this summer, awesome. Yeah. But that's all it has to do. It just needs to have a nice couple week run. You know, um, I think the return they need on it is not astronomical by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, I think I think we're gonna definitely see these characters come back for a second run. And I think we're gonna see Jeff Johns be having him there from start to finish on. Uh, the sequel, I think, can only help improve what we already got. 
No, I I agree with that completely. Um, any other highlights to the film that we didn't bring up? Obviously, we're, we're very pleased with some of the casting of the roles. Um, I admit I was a little worried at first hearing Will Smith's name attached to it because I thought he was too big of an actor for an ensemble cast. Uh, but I feel like they they focused on him just enough, but not too much that he took away from anybody else. No, uh, I, I think they gave people like the, the their focal leads. Um, I think everybody got good screen time uh, with a couple of the other members in the background. But that's gives you the ability to flesh them out uh, the next time we see them. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I got to say, again, really pleasantly surprised by El Diablo, who is a, you know, an F list uh, kind of villain, like not even a C or D lister, an F lister that they made actually kind of very interesting. Uh, and he was fun to watch. Uh, they had fun story with him. Um, you know, Croc looked phenomenal on screen. I, I think um, the whole route of going prosthetics paid off, and it looked good on screen. You know, I think uh, Adewale did an amazing job. Mr. Echo from Lost mm-hmm. uh, portraying him, even with only just a, several spoken lines. But he had a good presence on screen. He looked good. I think Jai Courtney, when we did see him, and the little you know pink unicorn gag that kept happening was pretty damn amusing, and it was a nice little chuckle. Um, and uh, I got to say, the use of Batman was perfect. The little tidbit we saw of Flash was fantastic. I was just going to say, that was one thing we haven't brought up yet, was we got a little cameo from another member of the Justice League. Yeah, uh, we got that nice little moment with the Flash, which only was a second or two, but it was used on the right character with the uh, capture of uh, Captain Boomerang, which was the way it should be with him being one of the rogues. And uh, I got to say, one of my favorite little moments, though, was in their first massive you know, street-level fight with... Uh, all the military buff all going at it, gunning down this group of bad guys. And then all of a sudden, everybody's stopping shooting as you just hear bullets continue flying. And everybody's just dumbfounded as Deadshot takes out like 40 people. And it was just this awesomely wonderful shot. And yeah. it was a fun scene. Um, I uh, There was a lot of little moments like that. I think a lot of fun, especially I, mean, I got to I think everybody agrees that the first half of the film, uh, I think we see the strongest moments of the film. Um I, I think their little build up to building the team was great. Um, I know there's been some critics out there that said they thought the front half was very slow and the team didn't come together quick enough. And I was actually quite happy with that. I really loved the fact that we got to see these nice kind of like visual dossiers on the the major players. And I think they did it the right way. Um, well, I mean, especially considering the fact that if you're not a comic book fan, you don't know. I mean, with the exception of maybe Harley Quinn, who you've just three seen through other iterations and through cosplays and things like that, you don't know who these characters are. So I'm glad that they spent the time on the dossiers and actually explained a little bit of them. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And the one thing that you asked me to check out and you did see it as well when your second viewing was uh-huh. uh, we now know a little bit more about the world that this Batman lives in. We do know, obviously, uh, that it's been confirmed that Jason Todd was the killed Robin. But not only that, but we know that it wasn't just Joker that was responsible for killing him. Harley Quinn was included as well, which makes a lot of sense, because if you think about it in the past in, you know, killing, you know, not the killing joke, but a death of the family happened in the late 80s. Um Harley Quinn wasn't even created yet in the comic books. But if you thought if she was around back then, she would have been involved as well. So I think I thought it was a fun little retcon. Um, I love the fact that they tied her to that. And um, 
I'm really looking forward to seeing that past fleshed out a little bit more in maybe future films. Well, I think this also sets to rest, too, with a popular theory that was out there, too, was that the Joker was, in fact, Jason Todd. Um, you know, the Jason Todd version of Robin, which I think uh, can kind of be put unless there's a really big twist. That we're oh, no, it's already coming. been put to rest. It's yeah. already been put to rest because if, if Jeff Johns confirmed that I think several weeks back said. We can say without a shadow of a doubt, it is not Jason Todd. Yeah, because if Harley was an alias in killing that, obviously her accomplice was the Joker. So obviously the Joker cannot kill Jason Todd if he is Jason Todd. Yeah, and David Ayer did speak out about that too and said he can also confirm that, yeah, it's the the Joker that we have is the only Joker that exists in the cinematic universe. Yes. So uh, I I will admit, again, like I said, I'm still a little impartial to Jared Leto's Joker. Um, I felt it was almost Heath Ledger light. Um, like he was trying too much to be Heath Ledger with changing a couple things on his own. I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it, but I, I think I need to see – I think I need to see a little bit more in a future film before I can gauge whether or not I'm actually really enjoying this version of the Joker. Uh, I, I can see a lot of potential in him. If they if we got to see a lot more of him, I think I would have been able to give a good opinion. But I think as – I think we kind of spoke a little bit. They showed him just enough to be interesting – but not enough to form an opinion yet, which I think is right because this wasn't supposed to be his film. It was supposed to be the squads. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of happy they cut him back as much as they did. Um, I think what we got, it, it's a very Bonnie and Clyde, Mickey and Mallory, Natural Born Killers-esque versions of these characters. And I think it works for this DC universe right now. Um, yeah. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what else we're going to see from him. But very gangster. Um, but they did it in a way that wasn't annoying. Like the tattoos, the gorilla, none of that stuff bothered you. It was just I'm really curious to see what this version of the character is. And we only got to see him in the light of his thoughts on Harley, which is he loves her and will kill for her, but potentially will also kill her. And that's yes. it. That's all we know of her. We don't know how he relates to Batman in this, what their relationship is. We don't get any of that. Um, it's the focus is always always on Harley Quinn. So, yeah, Um I'm curious uh, if they will, if DC will do the same thing with this film that they did with Batman v Superman in that we will get an ultimate edition when this is released on Blu-ray. And I'm actually saying, unlike uh, BVS, where I was impartial if they ever did an, an ultimate version, and when I watched the ultimate version, I was kind of like, eh, it's, it's okay. Uh, I'm actually very hopeful that they do for this. Well, I think what we might see is not an ultimate cut. I think we're going to see an alternate cut. I think what we're going to see is maybe David Ayer's original idea, because apparently um, one thing we did kind of get confirmed in the last couple days is the guys that came in and actually cut the trailers for the film were the ones that helped cut the final cut of the film, um, which is the people that were kind of responsible for why they wanted to go back and do some reshoots. And they said, well, we have an idea that you can tweak your film a little bit by doing this, this and this. And uh, so it was actually trailer people that were kind of responsible for some of the editing choices on the way that that film functioned. So, and Ayer did say that the version that we saw is his director's cut because he agreed in a lot of what they stated. And I guess Warner Brothers top brass. Yeah. Um, but he did say there very much is an, another cut that is out there of this film. And um, I do hope that does see its light of day. At least not we can see these cut scenes. But I think if you saw an ultimate cut, it would be a drastically different movie. A very okay. drastically different So, yeah, so I guess an alternate cut would be a better way to, to yeah. describe it rather than an ultimate cut. So yeah, because you're right. Because the ultimate cut didn't really change; it just added to the film. It didn't change anything that was already previously in the theatrical version. Uh, whereas an alternate cut, yeah, would probably change a lot of the story that's already existed. Yeah. So, 
Um, anything else worth mentioning in the film before we uh, we get ready to wrap things up? Um, no, um, you know, pretty much the only thing I can say real quick for people that really do want to know about the stuff that's shot. Again, I'll bring that up one more time. Comicbookmovie.com. Um, I'll do my best to give Ben a quick uh, link so you guys can read the full breakdown because, again, if we did that, that would probably add 20 minutes to our news yeah. segment. Like, yeah. No lie, uh, single spaced, one full Excel sheet, just full top to bottom of cutscenes, And they're very, very involved in stating exactly what the scenes and sequences were. And I would say from looking at this alone, it's probably about another 40 minutes of that movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, I, hopefully we'll get to see those scenes sometime make the light of day uh, sometime in the near future. I'm, I'm assuming with an August release of this film, they're probably going to be pushing for a holiday release on Blu-ray. Uh, my guess is we're going to see this probably um, end like of Christmas. October, early November. You think that soon? I would say probably by like end of November, beginning of December for like a Christmas um, release. I think I think they might capitalize on Halloween. Um, I, I could see that as being a potential, but I don't think you'll see it any later than Black Friday. OK, yeah, that, that makes sense to me, too, because, I mean, again, it's they're going to try and push to get this out before the end of the year. And personally, I look forward to owning it. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, you know, last thought process uh, process. The, I love the soundtrack. Oh, my God, that was yeah, that was the other thing, too. Like, I'm not big into a lot of heavy rap and stuff like that. There is obviously some stuff that I enjoy. But when I left the theater uh, because I subscribe to um, the Google Play music so I can literally I don't have to download albums anymore. Anytime a new album is out, it's available on Google Play. It's just the same as Apple Music and and such. Um, When I went and saw the the movie again on Friday, when I left the theater – I have a 10-minute drive home from the theater I went to. I listened to the soundtrack the entire way home. Yeah. Because it was we, available on Google Play. And we've been listening to it at home, too, as Kat's been editing her new books and stuff like that um, and prepping for her releases coming up. But, yeah, it's been uh, it's it's been a lot of constant stuff. And, again, I, I'm right with you. I'm not a big hip-hop, not a big rap guy. And, actually, everything that was in that was really fun, and it kind of opened me up to checking out some new artists. Yeah. There's, um, some, there's some stuff that's in the movie that's not on the soundtrack. Obviously, I think there's some, uh, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival that was in the film. Um and uh, I think like Rolling Stones and stuff like that that were not on the soundtrack, obviously for rights and um, and distribution rights for the films. But uh, I was okay with it because what's on the soundtrack is still really, really good. Yeah, um, I, I think honestly you can say that right next to Guardians of the Galaxy is probably my second favorite soundtrack in a long time in uh, in a long, long time from going to the movies. It's it's going to take a lot to beat Guardians of the Galaxy for my favorite soundtrack. Because that is just one of the most amazing soundtracks I've ever heard. Yeah, but uh, this this was this is a close second for me. Yeah, so Pir- I really enjoyed it. I think Pirate Radio was my second favorite. Uh, that's not DC or Marvel, but it's definitely a suggestion if you've never seen the movie or heard the soundtrack. It is a phenomenal soundtrack. Um, but yeah, uh, Suicide Squad definitely like top three, top five. Yeah, so. so definitely go see it. It's worth it. Go to yes. the theater, see it a second time. Well, listen, cause... to the critics, go and see it. Yeah, it, it's fun and it's well worth your time. Help help boost the uh, the profits because we want to see a sequel. Yeah, I really I would love to see a sequel now that they know what they want to do and have a tone for those films that they can do it from start to finish. They don't have to kind of try to figure out what they need to do. They know what they need to do and just make people happy that enjoy the first one and then tighten up a couple spots. And I think you've got a hit on your hand. Yeah, Um Cool. So before we get into our news and recommendations, I hope, Rob, you don't mind. I want to bookend this with the whole um, 
seize the day campaign, if Please that's do. right. While we still have everybody's attention, I kind of want to bring this to people's attention. Um, for people that don't know me, uh, and Rob, you know this, obviously, and all of our friends know this. I was and still am to this day a uh, a huge Robin Williams fan. Um, he, he still to this day is my personal hero. I, I still miss him an incredible amount. I've never gotten upset over a celebrity death until like he he died and i'm already getting choked up about it just talking about it again um obviously we know that it was from uh suicide but there was a lot of other issues going on in his head that caused him to do that uh this is the second year in a row i'm doing this i now have platforms enabled to talk about this a little bit more whereas last year it was just throughout our friends and family this year i'm actually putting it out there uh there is a t-shirt campaign that i have restarted i did last year we raised a couple but two or three hundred dollars last year and i'm really hoping to break that like to blow that out of the water this year with our listeners help um if you go to represent.com slash seize the day, uh, it is a t-shirt campaign. It is literally a cartoon image of Robin Williams with the word carpe diem at the bottom. It is a $22 t-shirt in available in many colors and sizes. All proceeds of the shirt sales uh, go to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, they are a nationwide uh, organization that helps fight depression and suicide, uh, or at least finds ways to help people cope with depression and suicide. We all go through it. Um, I've been through it myself. Um, you know, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but, uh, you know, I've been through it. So I know what it's like. This is a very, uh, this is a campaign and a charity that's very, very dear to me because I'm doing it in Robin Williams honor. So all proceeds go to uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Just go to represent.com slash seize the day. Uh, all the information is right there, including uh, the T-shirt sales and everything else uh, pertaining to this. So I hope all of our listeners who are listening uh, can go and, and do their part. And if you don't want to buy a T-shirt, um, go to the – just Google American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Go to their website and just make a small donation even if it's only $5, $10 uh, because it does go a long way. So Indeed. Um, and that's not the last thing you'll hear about from us probably this year about that. We'll probably bring that up again over the next couple of weeks just as a reminder to folks. And as we probably wrap that up, we'll be getting ready to talk about Extra Life, which is the Children's Miracle Network Foundation that me and Ben um, work alongside every year now. So – so yeah, like I said, we can we can do a podcast, give you guys some entertainment, but try to do some good along the way. So yeah, and the only reason I bring this up now is because this week, uh, August eleventh, it will be the uh, which is this coming Thursday is the two year anniversary of Robin's death. So I like to do it around this time because it's it's he's back in everybody's minds. Uh, so it's a good time and it's a good opportunity to uh, to get this started, to get this restarted, and and keep this going. Yeah. So make sure when you're listening to this. Go to nextlevelradioonline.com when you look at this episode. Uh, ben will post a little link there to directly to that campaign. So if you are interested, you can click on right underneath this episode. There'll be a link for you. You can check that out. Yeah. Um, so again, uh, for the t-shirt campaign, represent.com slash seize the day. So, uh, but uh, let's get ready to wrap things up. We got a lot of news to go over. So, Rob, I'm going to turn it over to you for this week in DC news. Awesome. Well, like I said, I did have time this week, so I actually got to break this down in order, <laughs> unlike last week. And I promise, there's only one more trip this year, and it's in September. So that'll be mid-September <laughs> when I go. I have to go to Boston. But I have I have one in November where I'm going to South Carolina. So we'll 
we'll we'll plan it. We'll we'll plan around it. So we'll be good. Nothing yeah. to worry about. So all right. So we're gonna get things kicked off because we mentioned we're bringing Gotham, obviously. So we got a little bit of Gotham news. Uh, so season three synopsis has been released online, and then we do have some light details about Ivy uh, Ivy's age jump. Um, and that's going to be because it's due from a monster from uh, the Indian Hill facility. Uh, we do know when Ivy does come back and make her appearance in season three, it is a new actress. I don't have her name offhand, but uh, um, she will actually have full control of her abilities uh, in addition to now being a young woman. So we were, are going to see that nice big jump. So I think that gives them the ability to play around a little bit with the classic rogues gallery a little bit. Uh, in the synopsis, we also did see, again, mentions of the Court of Owls, which are going to have a big focus in season three. Obviously, we saw the names, the Mad Hatter as well, and the Tweedle brothers listed in the synopsis. Uh, and specifically, though, with those guys, they're actually listed as the Tweed brothers. So I thought that was kind of a nice little twist on the classic characters. Um, in addition to that, we do have full cast images for everybody from season three so far. So everybody can see that. And uh, I know we we obviously shots of the main cast, including uh, Fish Mooney, Butch Gilzine, Robin Lord Taylor. Um, you know, so you get to see, uh, all, all these different people there. And, uh, I, I think this new season looks like it's shaping up to be something very special. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and to dive really quick into suicide squad talk. Uh, one of the things that did come into play this week is did we did find out the film is more than likely to unreal to not release in China. Um, and apparently this is a lot of issues specifically with the film's violence, which we did see happen as well in Deadpool, which why the film was released over there, which is potentially going to cut in to uh, its total earnings, which I think they stated needed to break somewhere in the range of 750 to 800 million as far as breaking even. But they're already well on their way with over 270 million already banked from opening weekend alone. So um, like I said, it was we mentioned earlier, we do know also as well from the film that Harley Quinn was an accomplice of the murder of Jason Todd. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we also were one of the things we forgot to bring up when we were talking about the film is we got that beautiful Alex Ross imagery of Joker and Harley with Joker in his classic, you know, tuxedo and Harley in the classic Harley suit that we saw originally from Bruce Tim and uh, in the, uh, the animated series. Yeah. Um, as far as jumping into other news, jumping over to the Flash. We do have one additional uh, person joining the cast, which is actress Susan Walters, who is from Vampire Diaries, Teen Wolf, and One Tree Hill. She'll be joining the cast as Dr. Carla Tanhauser, who is going to be Caitlin Snow's mother. Uh, the character is a world-class biomedical engineer and CEO of a research company. Uh, and one thing we do know from a little brief dialogue in season two is Caitlin's relationship with her mother is, in the best words stated, cold and withholding. So very... Uh, Nice little nod to uh, a potential future still for Caitlin uh, falling down the, the role of actual Killer Frost. Uh, we also now have one thing that we found incredible interest, uh, incredibly interesting, which is a little bit more about Flashpoint. Oh, I and can't wait. Specifically <laughs> with Flashpoint, it seems that from what Bleeding Cool News reported today is that Flashpoint is actually the catalyst for why Supergirl is in the universe. It sounds like from what they reported earlier today that her world will actually be merged with Earth One, which is where all of the DC TV shows have been taking place thus far, minus Supergirl. Um, that that will be a ramification of Flashpoint of their worlds colliding, and this will actually cause every character in that universe, with the exception of Barry Allen, to always believe that they always existed in the same universe. So that means Superman, Supergirl have always existed in the world, 
which is something really amazing. Um, and again, as they stated again, Barry will be the only one to know that they were one separate and any remaining continuity issues will be handled by quote unquote, a time traveler did it. So I, I I'm just, I, I sorry to break up your news, but I'm so excited by this. And it like, I, it blows my mind that we are in a time of day now where actions, I don't think this has ever been done before where actions from one TV show reverberate to others to multiple other shows not this way i mean not something like this i mean obviously i think there's little tiny things that you see obviously you know the inclusion of flash has always has impacted you know arrow in that way to an extent like they they're dealing with some of the same crises and we've seen these little bit of crossovers where plot threads of one show kind of show up in their crossover episodes but they're not really brought up much or they're nodded to and alluded to other things happening but not in the way that one show is a, is a change for a show's entire alteration. And yeah. then not even that, but how you know, it will affect Arrow and Legends of Tomorrow is that Superman and Supergirl are always a part of their world. I mean, and this very obviously explains now how Malcolm Merlin can be involved in Supergirl because we know Barrowman is involved with that show now as part of his new deal because they're now going to be in the same universe. And we now know how Leonard, Leonard Snart can still be alive. And Katie Cassidy now and as Katie, well. Yeah. So, so those I'm, contracts are all starting to make a lot more sense. Yes, really and I'm, I cannot wait. And I think this was the right call, and having Flashpoint be the thing that does it is the right move. And I think that's why maybe they said that change that happens in Arrow is minor, and it's just them having the knowledge of certain characters yeah. being, existing. So I think this is very clear that Flashpoint really could be a short short little thing that maybe is going to happen over the course of two shows. So I think that kind of helps confirm it. So while those, those things do happen, we know the moment that it's done, the effects are going to be felt. Yes. Um, now jumping over to Supergirl as well. Uh, we did have some casting in this past week, which is Katie McGrath has been cast as Lena Luther. For those of you unfamiliar with Katie McGrath, she actually was Morgana from BBC's Merlin show, which ran, I believe, for five or six seasons uh, and actually quite a bit of fun of her family show as well. So if you haven't checked that out, I'm pretty sure that's all up on Netflix. Uh, but she's also it did appear in Jurassic World and she was the main character, um, uh, the characters, the kids. It was their aunt. That was her uh, her assistant that was in the film that was, I believe, eaten. So, <laughs> yeah, she, yeah, she was. But she was uh, picked she, up by a pterodactyl and then eaten. Yes, then I believe it was the Allosaur that yes. snapped the pterodactyl out of the air with her in its talons. Yep. So, pretty shitty way to go. <laughs> Hell of a way to go. But uh, we did get a little bit of information at least, which I think also adds some uh, interesting bit of knowledge as far as Lena Luther is Lex has already been incarcerated at this point in time, and Lena will be taking over LexCorp as CEO with a goal to rebrand the Empire as a force for good. Uh, and as far as Supergirl is concerned with Lena Luther is the fact that She's not quite sure to make friend or foe of her yet. So I would not be shocked to see her as a potential villain in the mix. Um, also as well, uh, as we brought up Tyler Hodgson last week and with some early shots of him already uh, seen as Superman, there was video that leaked out of production this past week showing uh, Tyler Hodgson Superman battling against a metahuman with a glowing green uh, ball in his chest. That character most likely being the villain Metallo. Uh, obviously, the humanistic version uh, version of him before he sheds the skin and is full android. But that was actually spotted on the Metropolis set, not National City. So something kind of cool. And one other fun nod to that was we see an altered version of Superman's costume 
of him wearing an altered version of the suit for the fight, looking very similar to the Infinite Crisis suit worn by the evil Superboy Prime, which I thought was kind of a nice little nod. Um, jumping over now to Legends of Tomorrow, we do know uh, two new pieces of casting. iZombie alum Matthew McCall has been cast as a me- as one of the JSA members, specifically Commander, Ske- uh, Commander Steel. Sorry, a little tight there. <laughs> and Sarah Gray from Bates Motel and Wayward Pines has been uh, cast as JSA member Stargirl. Um, in addition to this, we do, uh, as we mentioned last week, they, uh, these characters are hailing from the 1940s, so you'll probably see a lot of World War II tie-ins, which has been nice because it's always something that's been a big focal point of those characters in the past. And if you're looking for it too, the JSA logo has also been officially unveiled for the show. Um, going over to Arrow now, Echo Colin has confirmed we are going to see him suit up as Mr. Terrific in Arrow Season 5, as we did mention in the past. But now we have a better idea of when. It sounds like the mask will at least appear in the first nine episodes this coming season. Um, we don't know if that means we're going to see him fully suited up or if we'll just be seeing the costume at this point. And uh, the last beat, a little bit of news, is uh, a little fun picture. Stephen Amell tweeted out, uh, uh, tweeted out on Twitter. Sorry, that's a bitch to say sometimes too. <laughs> I'm really tired. It's that's two trips in one week, man. That's it's a lot to handle. It's completely understandable. <laughs> so the shot that he put it up from uh, from Twitter showed the boots of White Canary, Supergirl, Flash, and Ray Palmer uh, as dressed as the Atom, as well as Arrow, as well on the set. Seems like production has officially begun on the crossover. And that wraps up everything from the news this week. Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of news. And, man, I mean, we're, st- we're still in the midway into the summer, and the news still keeps spilling out. And it just seems like things are getting bigger and better uh, as we go. So I'm getting more and more stoked for October. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing, too. Up. Yeah, it's is I think it's because production has begun. We, we had the big boom or like that started the slow trickle right before San Diego Comic-Con. And then more and more and more San Diego Comic-Con hit. And then we were able to do an entire episode just to the news of that. And then even the last few weeks, there's still been tons with all these new casting announcements. And I would assume we're going to start seeing some new scissor reels very soon. Yeah. I, yeah, I can imagine. Um, I mean, especially if they're into production on the on the four part crossover already. Um, uh, you have to imagine they're probably like a good quarter of the way into the season as far as filming goes. Yeah. And I think this is starting to answer a lot more questions about that crossover. No, like. Because we originally heard that, you know, we reported, I believe, last week that Supergirl is going to be the focus. But now it seems like as we were originally kind of worried that maybe it's starting in her show and she's bouncing to one show to the next, maybe like kind of doing some universe hopping. Now it seems like she's definitely not universe hopping. So it's kind of nice to know everything will be tied together nicely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very, very excited for it. Oh, oh uh, and there was also one last one. We almost forgot that just hit right before the show. And uh, that was Man of Steel 2 is in development. In oh, Hulk yeah. Brothers. Uh, apparently very early on in its stages at this point in time, but uh, they did say it seems like things are a go. And they said their goal now with Jeff Johns being there is to right the wrongs of the past and make this character what he was always meant to be on the big screen. Yeah. Look, I, I have not written off the DC Cinematic Universe yet. Um, Suicide Squad for sure has restored a little bit of my faith into what these films can be. I do feel that they have a long way to go, um, but I'm hopeful, and I'm I'm really hoping that, uh, especially with the Justice League, with Wonder Woman and the Justice League being the next films, I'm really hoping that we're going to see some more lighter toned films, 
um, some more fun stuff rather than this dark and somber that we've been seeing since the beginning. Uh, and I'm really hoping that with the rebirth of Superman towards the end of Justice League, we're going to see a more, you know, lighthearted, not as miserable Superman. And that's the Superman that I've grown to know and love. Yeah. So I'm 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 still very hopeful that throughout these next couple films, DC is going to turn it around. They're going to start finding their footing, and these films are going to be actually enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, you said it best is uh, when you told me about Squad is uh, they found their footing. Now all they have to do is climb up. So, yeah. And uh, if they, if they can keep moving up the trajectory, I think we'll be in good shape. Yep. Um, they tripped up a little bit in the first two. Their their steps are starting to hit, are starting to connect to the ground, and now they got to run with it. And mm-hmm. that's that's really what they got to do. Yeah. So, uh, but before we get out of here, obviously we have to make some recommendations to you guys on some stuff we want you to check out this week. Uh, since we talked Suicide Squad, and you already mentioned yours, Rob, I'll let you go first. Okay. So my recommendation is actually. Two small recommendations. Well, one not as small. Um, well, All-Star uh, Batman by Scott Snyder and John Romita Jr. is on sale this Wednesday. Uh, preview is available on comicbookmovie.com for the four, first four pages. And if Scott's previous run on Batman is anything to let you know, this is one to look for. Um, so definitely check that out this Wednesday. But the primary one I wanted to tell everybody to check out is if you've seen Suicide Squad and want to see what it was directly tied to, uh, check out Suicide Squad The Nightshade Odyssey, where you can either buy it in the full version on uh, Comixology or if you want to pick up the individual issues. That was in the Volume 2 run of Suicide Squad from 1987-1992, and that's specifically in Suicide Squads number 9 through 16, Justice League International 13, and Doom Patrol Suicide Squad number 1. Uh, cool. Um, I, in fact, as a matter of fact, do have two recommendations for myself. Both of mine are more a little bit more modern. Uh, but since we have been talking Suicide Squad, my first recommendation, obviously, is Suicide, uh, Suicide Squad Rebirth, which actually just hit stands this past Wednesday. Uh, so if you want to get a good shot at starting from the beginning of a Suicide Squad storyline, this is a good point to do it, uh, is right now with Suicide Squad Rebirth. Uh, because I think we're going to start seeing, I, I think it's what, every two weeks they're, they're releasing the next? Uh, yeah, Squad is an every two week book. Okay. Uh, but on the same note, I, I've been catching up gradually with all of my, uh, all of this DC Rebirth. I've pretty much been reading every single one of them. Anytime a rebirth starts up, I've been reading them um, to see what's in my electronic, to see what's on my Kindle right now of all the comics that I'm reading just from DC is ridiculous. Um, I mean, everything from Action Comics, Aquaman, Batman, Batman Beyond, Detective Comics, Green Arrow, Green Lanterns, Harley Quinn, Justice League, Nightwing, uh, Suicide Squad, Superman, Flash, Hellblazer, Teen Titans, Wonder Woman. Like, I'm reading them all. Blue Beetle's going to be starting up soon, so I'm going to be reading that one. Um, but the most recent one I've read that I actually really enjoyed, there's only been one, and it's just been the Rebirth right now, uh, I want to recommend people check out, is actually I really, really enjoyed Red Hood and the Outlaws. <laughs> um I don't know what it was about it that stood out above everything. I just read it and I was really engrossed in it. I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's out of all the rebirths, I think it's probably been one of my favorites so far. That's one I still need to check out. And from the best way I've heard it kind of kind of brought up is it's the Dark Trinity. It's it's the you know, the dead Robin that came back to life. It is Bizarro and uh who is who is the third member of that team? 
Um, well, they actually haven't revealed the team yet in the comic books in the rebirth. It's actually just been um, the Red Hood. Okay. So they haven't re- revealed any of the other members of his squad yet, but I th- I do know Bizarro is going to be one of them. Oh, I believe uh, it's uh, it's Artemis. Uh, I-, I believe is the other one, and that's uh, not Artemis is the Archer. I believe that's Artemis the Amazonian. Okay. So, yeah, they haven't revealed it as of yet, but I think Red Hood is the only one we've seen so far. Yeah, so it's pretty much the twisted versions of Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. Yes, <laughs> so. it's, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. So that's, that's my other recommendation for this week is out of all the new rebirths that have come out in the past couple weeks, uh, check out Red Hood and the Outlaws. It's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, Red Hood and the Outlaws was kind of a black sheep during the New 52, but it, I got to say it was a really fun book. It was very popcorn-y and fun. It was, it was a blast to read, so I'm and, happy and, to hear yeah, I think this one's going to be exactly the same way. Awesome. So, uh, cheap plugs before we get out of here. Uh, I'll start things off since I let you start things off with the recommendation for the week. Obviously, you can. This podcast is part of the Next Level Podcast Network, which you can check out uh, all previous issues of this podcast as well as all other podcasts on the network at nextlevelradioonline.com. Find us on Facebook and give us a like. Facebook.com slash nextlevelradioonline. You can find us on Twitter at NXT Level Radio. And of course, subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast. Podcast, as well as all others on the podcast network through both the iTunes and Google Play platforms. Uh, if you want to email me personally, you can email me, ben at nextlevelradioonline.com. And of course, one more mention before we go and before I turn things over to Rob, uh, check out represent.com slash seize the day for the Robin Williams uh, suicide prevention um, t-shirt campaign that's going on right now. And that'll be running probably for about a good like three or four weeks too. So you still got uh, there, there's plenty of time if you're waiting for a payday or something like that to to help out. Cool. And for me, uh, you can always find more info uh, as far as what we do as well at CaffeineCrew.com where you can check out the Caffeine Crew cast of pods, which is a monthly pop a geek pop uh, geek slash geek, pop. Geek, 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 yeah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Dude, again, holy crap. Too much driving in one take, week, man. Too much. <laughs> CaffeineCrew.com where you can check out the Caffeine Crew cast of pods. It's the monthly pop culture geek culture podcast usually featuring myself ben and several others in a nice little round table discussions kind of talking about all things current in the realm of geek culture and some past things um but always you can check out some of the uh the podcasts that we've done on there as well as some of the articles going over everything from cosplay to video games but check that out you can always find us on facebook and twitter at caffeine crew or you can always email me at the caffeine crew at gmail.com uh, and of course, if there's any recommendations or anything or any opinions you have on anything we've talked about, you can reach both Rob and I jointly at DC Primetime at nextlevelradioonline.com. Uh, with that being said, we're going to get out of here. Uh, as we mentioned, or at least we're going to start mentioning at the end of every podcast, especially when we talk about TVs and films, uh, form your own opinion, go to the theater, see the movie yourself, uh, and stop by and, lo- and support your local comic book shop and read comics for yourself as well. Enjoy them. Uh, they're not just for kids. Trust us. We're in our 30s, approaching our 40s, and we still read them. Yeah, and next week will probably be something a little bit different, and then probably the week after that will be, uh, I think, probably Gotham Annual Number 1, followed by Gotham Annual Number 2. Yeah, two weeks of Gotham. I'm looking forward to it because it's fresh in my mind and and i'm again kind of bummed that i didn't stick with it but i'm glad that i'm i'm caught up now yeah so next week will probably be a shorter show and we'll have something interesting planned i'm sure so we don't even know what it is and that's exciting for us maybe we'll do the uh the game that we talked about a couple weeks ago 
I don't even know what game. you're talking about. The game. What game? Oh, oh yeah. Never mind. I remember. Yeah, that could be fun. Yeah. So, uh, but with that being said, we are going to get out of here. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll see you guys around the bend. Take care. Peace. Go eat food, and I'm going to take a nap.